This is Safari Conversations, the Singita podcast. 30 years ago, founder Luke Bales had a dream of creating a pioneering ecotourism brand that could help save pristine wilderness areas in Africa for future generations. The first chapter in Singita's story started when Ebony Lodge opened in the Sabi Sand in 1993. But truly, it began long before that, on a piece of land his grandfather owned and where they spent holidays as a family at Castleton. So much has happened in the last 30 years to where we find ourselves now, owning and managing award-winning lodges across multiple countries in Africa. And we are looking to expand our conservation impact even further, working alongside conservation NGO partners. Welcome to our podcast, where you'll meet some of the very talented people who make our life-changing safaris a reality. Hello and welcome to Safari Conversations, the Singita podcast. I'm your host, Mups Maponyane, and in this episode, we chat with Jordi D'Souza Costa, co-founder of Cecile and Boyd, and Georgina Pennington, head of creative direction at Singita, about the style and design around Singita. Thank you so much for joining me in this wonderful conversation, looking at the style and design around Singita. You've both been, um, you know, well, actually, Jordi, you've been with uh, Singita and doing this interiors for around 30 years, almost 30 years. Tell us about the journey and how things have changed with your modern guests in mind. Well, firstly, thanks for showing up my age. Now everyone can do the sums. Um, yes, it's been it's been an amazing journey. I can't even explain. I mean, I could really write many novels and uh, many photo books as well of, of our experiences. Um, we started actually um, way back in 1993 when we did the first lodge for Singita, which was Ebony. And so it's been an incredible journey. And um, I think um, I can get into more detail of, 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 of how that journey has progressed. But really, I think from a design point of view, our, our our beginning um, has really come such a long way. We've really, you know, there's, there's been such a design evolution um, in within Africa as a context and, and obviously in the tourism market and, and the world. So it's been a fascinating, fascinating experience. You've played such a significant role and I'm, I'm assuming you've done that for all the locations. I have, and not only once each. There's often been um, two or three <laughs> redesigns or, um, yeah, refurbs. So you, I think you're probably looking more at the fi- at a fi- figure in, its, in, its, in the 30s, I think. Wow. Georgie, uh, you have quite a significant role yourself in the design process and the brand. What exactly do you get up to for, for Singita's design? 
Um, so I um, I work obviously in-house for Sangeeta and I run the internal design team um, made up of about five of us now. And we really um, work with Cecile and Boyd when we do a new um, a new lodge or a redesign. We work with them doing operational items and that's everything that's going to be used by the guest that's replaceable within a five-year period. So, you know, crockery, cutlery, glassware, linen, toweling and really making sure that that stays in keeping with the concept that Cecile and Boyd um, deliver. And then also we look after the guest experience um, and what the guest experience entails at our various properties um, in different regions. It's a different experience. So, for example, Rwanda's experience is very different to that of a sort of a safari lodge in the Serengeti. Um, and then also the wellness aspects of, of the guest experience, you know, what, what the wellness aspects look like, how they're intertwined into the experience. Um and then when we do do projects and Cecile and Boyd sort of have finished their installation, um, we then maintain and manage those lodges in between the redesigns that Geordie mentioned, um, just to make sure that the lodges are always looking as, as good as they possibly can. Um, and, and, you know, for every guest that comes to visit, um, it looks as sort of hopefully as new as the day that we opened. Wow. And I can definitely, definitely uh, commend the both of you and your teams on what you've been doing at the resort. I've been so lucky to have uh, stayed at uh, the lodges at Sweeney as well as Lubombo. And it looks absolutely incredible. I mean, Jordi, you speak of how you've had to refurbish. When I went to Sweeney and Lubombo, the condition firstly that they were in was absolutely impeccable. And the taste that's been approached, uh, that's taken in your approach of design was so beautifully organic yet really inspiring in its use of color in of course um uh, lubombo and um and, and and swinney as well just how organic that was in the use of all the materials but together both of them with the material use and the little touches of, of color that feel like you're still a part of the space and everything being so timeless as well i really don't think that will need a touch-up anytime soon as well i i, I don't <laughs> i don't see that needing any any touch-up it's surprising. Uh, Georgia and her team do an amazing job. I mean, the the wear and tear from a from a from a environmental point of view is huge. Um, let alone, you know, from from obviously guest usage, and then just a lot of these lodges being so remote. Uh, Georgie can attest to many many um, containers of operational items and replacement fabrics and replacement. Um, of operational items being sent up um, all the time. It's a massive business, and I think that's why the excellence of of the lodges is really kept up and so immaculately um, retained. Georgie, can you speak to that? I can indeed. I think, you know, we, we do operate in different regions. The South African lodges, it's it's um, a little bit easier in that we've got very close by access with a weekly truck. So they're, they're quite lucky in, in what sort of the support they get. But the Tanzanian lodges in Rwanda in particular, um, they have, as Jordi said, sort of a, a lot of stock of, of items that they keep there in order to keep things looking as fresh as they can. And then, you know, we've got the daily challenges of last week. It was a, a hyena got onto one of the decks and ate all the cushions oh, wow. and We've got no leather cushions left. And, um, and you know, then it could be a, a weather issue in Sabora. We, we get quite bad storms. And sometimes the storms come through. They come out of nowhere. And, um, and every, we've got to batten down the hatch and some things can get, um, can get slightly damaged. So, um, you know, it's, it's never a dull moment, but it keeps us on our toes. It keeps things interesting. 
Absolutely. I, I, I can now make a whole lot more sense as to all that goes into it and how much you always have to look out for. And of course, working with the natural environment, uh, it speaks to just how easy it is for animals as well to access and feel like it's more a part of their space as opposed to intruding um, their space as well. But the, that hyena encounter must have been quite something. <laughs> you spoke about Ebony being the first one that you worked on, Jordi, and that being the first um, kind of Singita Lodge. That evolution from what it was then to now and incorporating more African influence into the design, that journey, is that something that was always planned to to be the natural journey to take place? I don't think it was planned, Mavs, but it was it was definitely a natural evolution. And with any design, um, there's always going to be an evolution of design. So, for instance, when we did Ebony, we took quite a Eurocentric approach to the design because we were we always work in con- within context of the of the lodges so originally there were there was a family living in an old homestead and there were antiques and there was things like that and that's what we were inspired by um, with that very first lodge i mean jump forward 30 years and along that process we we obviously had the epiphany of, of African design within itself becoming the hero rather than borrowing cues from other cultures around the world. And, you know, Africa herself is the main event. And I think what's come out of that is just an incredible development of design over the years, not just within Sangeeta, but across the whole of Africa with, with all the hotels. And um, I'd like to say that we've been, you know, influential in forging some of that journey. So, so as I said, you know, some of the lodges now are very contemporary take on Africa as the central inspiration. And that's very exciting because it's, there's so many things to draw from. There's so many, there's so much of that African narrative to draw from for inspiration. And every time we get given a new lodge, we think we're going to run out of, you know, how should we do this one, you know? But we don't because the place is so inspiring, the site is so inspiring, the, you know, the nature of the place, the culture of the place. Um, for instance, at the moment, we're looking at redoing a little lodge up in the Mara River. And, um, you know, even after th- 12 years, there's so much fresh sort of inspiration to draw from you never run out of ideas and i think um that's been a that's been a a a constant sort of thread throughout building up these 30 you know from the 30 years building up all these lodges if we dive deep into a little bit more of the detail, if you think of the lodges back then in the 90s and 2000s, and I'm talking not just Singita lodges, but lodges across the board that were considered luxury, they all seem to have had that kind of almost colonial style as well with a bit of a European influence with that. And that was what was considered luxury lodge chic. Uh, what for you if you look at the, you know, some of the more recent, like Sabora, and w- what's kind of distinctly different within the architecture and how you use the environment around you and the artisans around you to what should be Africa herself as the hero? Yeah, absolutely. Um, modern architecture. So obviously we started with sort of very more classical lodge architecture. And then that metamorphosized into a much more contemporary take on the architecture where we we worked with a very strong concept. For example, at Labombo, the architecture was inspired by the idea of 
bird's nest or eagle's nest sitting on the edge of a cliff. And each suite is a glass box framed with, you know, with, with, with steel frames and, and covered in on different sides with lats and creating different dappled lights and creating different moods, different times of the day. So there's, be, there's, there's been such a journey and evolution within the actual architecture, which obviously then flows into the interiors, which then flows into the decor. So we we very, very, um, we very sort of tight about how our concepts are delivered and as Georgie would 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 agree right through to the very small details so the teaspoon you're using or the soap or the or or exactly a teacup you know so so the big themes and the big concepts right from the architecture flow right through to all the detailing and I think that's why each Sangeeta Lodge is has is, is so timeless and so strong um, at the same time. It was actually one of the first times I'd been to lodges and while I was eating, asked if I could just take the cutlery as well and take the placemats and take the little teacups and everything was just so, so sublime. And you mentioned how you were so focused on that architecture and the nests and how that works with the light. When I was there and I was staying there um, with my partner at the time, she kind of kept rem- uh, remarking as to why I kept taking the same photo from the balcony throughout the day. But I kept saying it's not the same photo. The light's completely different and it gives a completely different feel and image. And it's so beautiful how that architecture and feeling like you're in that nest completely works with that environment and the environment as a result works with you and changes with you. And it was a beautiful, beautiful attention to detail and touch that you can see has been taken some serious care into so that the the customer or the lodge stay or your clients can actually feel like they are evolving with the place so that, that really was something that's quite beautiful georgie uh you you got that kind of a doft of the hat there from georgie about the detail that your team goes into how much uh care and attention and and i guess focus do you put into each and every little item um a huge amount maps it's um it's it's really you know, as Jordi said, the context of the place is so inspiring, um, and we look we look to that um, in sort of a very deep way. We do a deep dive. We sort of look at every single item that a guest is going to to use, but also look at it from all senses. So, how's it going to feel? What's the texture going to be like? How's the texture going to represent the concept um, visually? How's it going to represent the concept from a, an auditory point of view um, in terms of the music or the sound or the lack of sound? Because that's also very important because you've got your your sounds of nature. How does that all fit in? And so we really look at it from all five of your senses and, and what is going to be stimulated? What do we need to push a little bit? What do we need to pull back? How do we? How can we make you feel rested? How can we make you as to your point you know look out of the view and see it um you know at different times of day and see something entirely different um and, and we really try and and work with all of that in order to to create items that when you see them feel them use them touch them um it is, is a continuation of the concept you may not know that it's being designed a lot of the time and we work a lot with sense design we work a lot with your your textures and your your sort of tangible elements um, and you may not feel that they've been designed but it is all kind of designed in order to to, to create a feeling. Um, I think the feeling that you have when you're at these lodges and in these environments is so incredibly important. Um, a feeling obviously evokes an emotion and emotion evokes a memory and a memory is something you'll have forever, hopefully keep forever. And, and in order to create the feeling and enhance the feeling in these places, every little detail is 
scrutinized until we feel it's absolutely perfect um, and we'll mm. layer with everything else that everybody else has worked on before us all the other professional teams to sort of do all of that um make it proud but you know do it justice and it certainly does seem a whole lot more curated and purposeful as well and there's also great focus there on on waste yes absolutely i think um geordie and i we can both attest to our um aversion to waste i think it's um in this you know day and age responsibly we can't waste and we try and use and reuse whatever we can wherever we can be it um at another lodge be it in a a staff area, be it with one of our, our sort of external projects, um, and and how can we reimagine things? So not just sort of our concepts changed and, and you know turf this away. How can we reimagine it? How can we repurpose it um, to become something else, to be reused somewhere else, so that it it has a life. Um, it doesn't just sort of end there and find itself on a landfill essentially. So it's it's really one of our our great our, our sort of great aims when we do a project. Um, is to avoid waste and, and avoid, sort of avoid throwing things away just for the sake of it. And the, the, the carbon footprint of, of something like a Singita Lodge these days, what, uh, how important is that? It's incredibly important. Um, I, you know, I think that carbon, well, the world and what's happening to the world and our globe is, 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 is sort of on the top of everybody's list and I'm sure on the top of everybody's minds. Um, if it isn't, it sort of shortly should be. Um, and it is really important. You know, we look to, when we do a project, we looked to set a percentage of what we would like to get and, and procure locally um, within the country and then within the region and then with it on the continent. Um, and, you know, that really is with the aim of, of, of reducing our carbon footprint, but of also supporting and sustaining local communities, local suppliers, local businesses within the country that we're going into. Um, and I think that all really adds to it's a, a hugely responsible thing to do, but we need to be responsible. As a conservation company, it's incredibly important in what we do and in, in, in how we open these lodges and, and also the, the sort of the authenticity to, to the lodges that then open, um, knowing that those those avenues have been explored, um, those parameters have been worked within. How important has it been for, for the Sigita team to create its team and its staff drawn from the community around them? I, you know, in, in the past, there used to be a lot of criticism from different kinds of lodges, uh, you know, not necessarily Sigita at all, but, you know, it's, it's always something that has been at the forefront for, for Sigita. Why is it so important to ensure that a lot of your staff is, is from the local community? Well, because I think, you know, it's, it, it is a hugely responsible thing to do, but the local staff bring from the local communities understand, they understand the land, they understand the context, they generally grew up there, um, which I think gives an enormous amount of authenticity to the experience. Um, you know, also, if we're employing people from the local communities, invariably, you know, that's an income to an, a household, which may, you know, may create food on the table, educational opportunities for that household. And um, and I think, you know, we feel it's an incredibly responsible thing to do to employ as many people within the lodge locally, um, you know, from the local region, but also from the country, um, you know, to, to benefit that, that country within a, the tourism sector. Tony, you were speaking earlier about the importance of sourcing within Africa and, and and getting as much African design with the influence of moving more and more in that direction as Africa as as, as a hero. It's also really important to note that 
that's supposed to be something that is supplementary and complementary and as the hero but just like any hero you have you've got your supporting sidekicks as well 61% of i think the the, the materials and and the in, interior that's been um you know sourced for volcano national parks for example has been from from africa but there's another 39% that's been from supporting acts as well to give it the quality that it has and really make it as beautiful as possible yeah it's all about balance at the end of the day you know balance on every level so we obviously like to support as much locally as possible but you know you can't always find what you're looking for locally and then we have to either manufacture things down south here in south africa or import from from abroad and i think it's really also about very much a mix of all those components and at um, Quitonda, I know with the building, the actual building materials, um, the mud bricks and the lattered ceiling panels were all done locally. And yet, you know, probably the window frames are brought in from Germany. So there's always a sort of um, a bit of a compromise. And unfortunately, you can't always get everything locally. But the more we go along, the more we are driven to want to source locally. And um, I think... It's just about awareness, because if I think of how we thought through things, you know, 25 years ago, there was much less awareness of actually with regards to our carbon footprint and how, how these lodges were going to put together and, you know, importing something from across the world. It didn't really matter, but it really, really feels like it matters now and more and more as we go along. Um, and it definitely plays a huge role in, you know, our choices that we make for, for the design. And no doubt also gives a bit of a sense of ownership to those uh, members of staff who are from the community when they feel like they have a place that represents them and their surroundings as well that they grew up with. Um, so it's a really, really beautiful consideration. And I know that African designers and artists and creativity as a whole on the continent are something that you always seeking out for um, as well on top of that. And, and it's a constant also evolving uh, kind of engine of new up-and-coming designers coming through the, the, the whole time. I've I've been fortunate enough to have stayed uh, at a lodge out in Okavango Delta where they have a whole host of great African art and it's beautiful to see all those artists being embraced. There's, there's lots of great South African artists, sculptor artists and um, you know different um, artists that work with all sorts of materials and mediums all being incorporated into large spaces and it's a really wonderful thing and i see that that's something as well that um georgie that Sangeeta is moving towards with art galleries starting in sabi sand and only selling african art for conservation um is this uh, something that you're also trying to focus on Yes, absolutely. Um, it's I think as Jordi mentioned earlier, the the, the design scene in Africa um, is is incredible. It is the hero, and um, and as a result, the art scene the art scene too. So we really are wanting to create a, a platform, an exhibition space for um, African artists, South African artists, various other African artists to exhibit their works, um, and guests can see that and, and you know have exposure to that where they may they may not you know have that if they say coming on an itinerary where 
ride. They don't go through Cape Town or Johannesburg to beautiful art galleries. They may not be exposed to that. So it's really to to show um, our guests what African artists are doing. Um, and then also, as as you mentioned, a proceed a percentage of the proceeds of those sales go into currently into our Sangita Lofeld Trust, which is um, the South African. We, we've started this concept in South Africa. It's going to be moving to the other um, properties, hopefully. Um, and that's, you know, we also feel incredibly important that, that a percentage goes into the, the local sort of community and conservation trust um, and guests are also therefore making a contribution by buying these magnificent pieces of art um, to, to that, that trust. And obviously with having art at your forefront, Tori, you also love the fact that, you know, you get to work on all these different lodges with Sangeeta, but Cecil and Boyd does a whole lot more. It's not really just for Sangeeta. I'm sure a lot of that other work that you work on informs what you end up bringing back to Sangeeta and keeps you inspired. And we'll, we'll touch on the future in a bit, but what are some of those other projects that you work on just to kind of give us a glimpse into the world of, of Jordi Souza Costa? The world of Boyd Ferguson, who's my brother, and Geordie, myself, and my other partner, Paul Vandenberg. We're the three partners of our company. We, we I, I would say pretty much Sungita probably forms half of our work, and the other half is either private residences or other small hotels. We don't really get involved in the very big commercial hotels. We like to design... A sense of home. So the smaller lodges like Sangeeta are really what we love to do is that whole idea of making someone feel like they're actually at a home and not in a hotel. But um, yeah, we, we have various projects on all over the place, overseas and locally in South Africa um, and in Africa. And we have certainly traveled far and wide to get to our projects. And um, it's, I think we've also really honed our ability to 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 designs from far you know and and i mean that actually brings up the whole idea of of how we managed to design when covid struck because we were in the middle of a couple of installations up in tanzania and um we literally had to change our tech completely um and instead of our entire team which we normally travel with a team of artists and we, have, we travel with a team of installers and um, paint specialists and curtaining people. There's a whole bunch of us that travel up to all these lodges. And, um, you know, that had to change very radically during COVID. We had to work remotely on Zoom um, with, with, with amazingly, you know, capable teams that were actually at the lodges who helped us do this. I had the experience of visiting a few lodges after the the real lockdown of COVID throughout the world and all sorts of different lodges across the continent. And they had a great deal of challenges when it came to that period of trying to be it renovate a lodge or work on a lodge and do installations remotely and try and actually keep up with everything. And Jordi, I imagine as well for you, it would have been quite a, a, a tricky operations and logistics things with, uh, with, with trying to bring in your different types of um, artists and, and interior decor coming in for the lodges. Jordi, what, what was the process you went through? And uh, Jordi, I'd love to know uh, w- what you challenged with. 
So, um, Maps, you, you make a very good point. It was a very challenging time. Um, you know, we were so used to, as Jordi mentioned, going up to the properties, being there physically, um, being able to do what we need to do, unpack the boxes, you know, put the things in the locations where they should be. And that all came to a grinding halt. But, but you know, we couldn't, we couldn't, you know, keep those lodges mothballed. We had the sort of show had to go on. So, we designed a system whereby the, the lodge staff, because we had an operational break, there were no guests coming in at the time, the lodge staff became the installation team. Um, we, we sort of used uh, drawings that we had um, and we sort of laid everything up to it the sort of detail of the keyring on the drawings. And then we sort of made them, we gave them to the lodges. So the lodge had a view of each side of a four bedroom room, for example. Um, and then they'd lay it up and then we'd do a sort of two, three hour walkthrough of that room later that afternoon on WhatsApp call or on Skype or on Zoom. Um, and that, that really worked well. And But what we also had to do was that a lot of our staff weren't on the property. Um, you know, you can imagine when you go into a lockdown, a lot of staff needed to go home, needed to be with their families. We didn't know how long it was going to last for. Um, so there were some staff left on the property, but some not. And we also had to get to those staff so that when they came back to the property, to this new lodge that their um, colleagues had installed, you know, we wanted to really manage their expectations and, and create some excitement around it um, during the sort of time that everybody was going through a very difficult time. And so we created, um, my team member, Sasha and Franco, created a a series of gifts and um, and sort of really entertaining videos and um, and sort of um, animations and illustrations to try and get the staff engaged and excited about what they were coming back to, um, which which I think was was fairly successful. Um, I think sometimes they maybe thought that we had lost the plot slightly, um, but it, it was really successful. And and what it did do was it it, it sort of gave birth to this enormous sense of ownership of the staff. You know, they had done the installation themselves. They had been involved. They were sort of intricately involved on a daily basis, which when we opened the lodge, as I said, gave this enormous sense of ownership. And, you know, now you can speak to any staff member, be it a, a guide, be it a gardener, be it the manager, a chef, and they know exactly how the rooms are laid out, what should be where, because they were all involved. And I think that's been quite a large learning for us. Um, which you know we will take we'll consider and take into our future installations everything starts you you visit the site and you're inspired by the site but then you go away back to your studios and everything happens on paper you really design on paper um and you you, you procure all those items and you containerize them and you get them to the destination but there's so much of a of a creative evolution i'm using that word too often but a creative time that happens during the actual installation because often when we take our artists there for ins for instance they're actually inspired they'll they would have painted paintings for instance out of their studios but they'll be there themselves and they will be actually painting on site as well they'll be changing things they'll be enhancing things um, and this magic also happens in the final styling you know we might plan something on plan in a room layouts but when you actually in the space. We spend hours and hours and hours debating how a room should end up looking, you know, and objet right down to all the smalls and the art um, and the sculpture. So it was quite a it was quite a thing not to be able to go to site um, and do these installations. So we had to really up our admin skills very much and put together um, enormous PowerPoint presentations and Excel spreadsheets and um, and yeah, the teams on site did an amazing job. And then we, we obviously postponed our trips. And when we got an opportunity to go up there, we did. 
and we were able to finish off everything, um, you know, as perfectly as possible. But um, yeah, I think from a tech point of view, we all had, um, we all learnt a huge amount of of skills online. I've no doubt that you are somewhat of a of a tech whiz now. After everything you've had to go through, it sounds like it was a lot of um, a lot of pressure, but something that you were able to to pull off. So, um, congratulations to you and the team. But I'd actually love to know, and this is something that I know that the both of you can really dive deep into because it isn't an an easy process. I know it's a very lengthy process, and I'm honestly, Tori and Georgie, I'm still kind of. Um, blown away at how you managed to continue to make every lodge seem so beautifully unique. Before going into that process and what it takes to create what you create, what goes into establishing a signature for Singita when it comes to the differences and feel of each lodge, yet there's still that signature feeling that you get. I don't know how you manage to pull it off, but you just manage to get that just right. What is that feeling that you're going for to establish a Singita signature? And what would you say that signature is? I think what's what's huge is we talk about it all the time is this word essence feel. And I think no matter what the aesthetic, what the design direction you've chosen in any of the lodges, because Singita is has a bouquet of lodges and offerings. Um, some people prefer a more contemporary style, some prefer a more classic style and people have their favorites and and some are in between and some of the guests go from one to the other to the other so they have an you know a taste of this bouquet but i think what the central idea of this essence feel is really the feeling that is evoked within one's senses on all levels. So from the aesthetic design, you know, in the spaces, in the rooms, to the environment, to the incredible environment that you're in, and all of them are different. Some are on rivers, some are on plains, you know, some are in on, on cliffs. And then you add, you throw in that, you throw in all the touchy feely bits like the food and the and and the incredible food offering and the incredible quality of everything. And then on top of that, you throw in the human aspect, because you, you know you arrive at a Singita Lodge and everyone knows your name and knows if you were there before or not, and you really are made to feel incredibly special and center of attention if that's what you're looking for. Um, but really. It's as I said, it's that it's that you can't almost put words to it. And maybe Georgie, you can um, elaborate on this. But it's 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 really the feeling that is evoked um, through all these lodges, through the design, through the people, and through the landscape. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier about how you really want to make it feel like it's a home, someone's home, and that you're not going to a hotel or a lodge or anything like that. And I do really want to add that it felt like I was at a a friend's mother's home with exceptional taste and she wouldn't stop wanting to feed me. That All she did was want to feed me all the time. I was taking care of food and drink galore with just <laughs> the most comfort around me at all times. Georgie? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite a good analogy. I'm glad you added the part about the good taste of the friend's grandmother. You know, no, Georgie, you know, we, we, we speak about the feeling of Singita. What is that feeling of Singita to your question? And it is, we really want guests to feel like they're at home 
them. We want them to feel deeply cared for, authentically cared for. And that is sort of, there's a lot of intuitive design that goes for that. So, you know, instead of a guest having to make a decision or make the choice, we'll try and make that for you, um, obviously, where where it's relevant. Um, And then... To, to create the five senses, to layer them beautifully together so that you are, you feel held, you feel cosseted, but at the same time, very comfortable. And you're on an adventure as well. You know, there's the landscape outside, there's the wilderness you're coming to look for. Um, and, and to Geordie's point, our staff play an enormous role in that. Um, we also we also try, we've got two sort of guiding principles that, that we use in our lodges, and that is that of, of sanctuary and of knowledge, you know, to create a safe sanctuary for people to to be to enjoy themselves to enjoy the company of others to enjoy their families and their friends and then also to gain knowledge whilst they're with us be it on you know game drive be it to do with birds trees um animals the food the wine um and that's also really important to us so that there's there's purpose to it as well as the guests just being on on holiday or vacation so what does it take guys i know it's a lot of work uh, but i'd really love to know the process what does it take to create and build this award-winning lodge of singita in the standard normal times um you know away from uh, covid and all of that what does it really take into that planning process the brand the creating the excitement and the romance the remote locations all the sustainability the lighting the decor the layers the styling and 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 working with the architects georgie georgie i know this could be something you speak about forever but in the most wonderfully summed up way and not also missing out on those beautiful details. What does it really take? It takes many, many months, sometimes years of uh, scrutiny, um, hard work, discussions with all the teams, um, analysis, um, and then design development, and then procurement. I'm getting all technical here. And then installations, and then snagging, and then teasing everything out, and then you know making sure... The whole process has been um, completed, you know, to the nth degree. So from our side, it's 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 really a lot of passion that goes into it. Um, we are passionate about what we're creating in all the different places. We adore Singita as a brand. Um, we've had a remarkable relationship with them. We have been exposed to some incredible other clients that you know have known about us through our work with Singita and vice versa, I think. And yeah, it's just, we, we feel totally privileged to have walked this journey with, um, with Luke um, and the team um, right from the the very humble beginnings when, you know, there were very few staff members running a lodge to now this enormous, enormous company that is super slick and, um, you know, <laughs> winning awards all over the place. And I think it's just about um, being true to ourselves at the end of the day, being true to the design of the places we are designing. It's authenticity and it's it's also it's entertainment at the same time. So as much as you you want to keep everything authentic and classic, there's a sense of drama, there's a sense of design, there's a sense of entertainment. So the balance of that is what we want to achieve at the end. And I think, I think that's, that's, I've said it in a nutshell. 
of course, informed by your experiences and all your knowledge. And I have no doubt that uh, it is beautifully put together. Georgie? I feel that Geordie summed it up so well. I'm not sure I'll do a better job than that. But but I also think it takes a lot of trust. Um, you know, we, we've worked with Cecile and Boys for a long time. We have immense trust in them and they in us. And and also, you know, when we embark on these projects and the, these sort of beautiful um yeah, these beautiful redesigns or new designs, whatever it may be, there is enormous amount of trust in everybody within the team that we're working with. Um that, you know, we that that everybody will be able to deliver what they have or or that this vision that's been put together can be achieved. Um and there's also um an amazing confidence. I, I often say, you know, when people ask me about working at Singita, I feel very grateful to work at a place where there is a confidence and there's a trust in in the creative and the creative world um you know there really is and it's 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 amazing to have that freedom um to trial things to see if it's going to work you know sometimes not everything does work and we may make a mistake but but for there to be that trust and that freedom is is really unique and very special and i think it takes that too you know there are there's the odd mistake and i'm going to talk about in my world i'm not going to talk about with cecile and boyd there is but we learn from that we move on and the space to be able to to, to experience that and to make that, I think, is incredibly important. With the changing of profile of, of guests and the kind of clientele that you get into the lodges, and as times go by, how do you handle that in terms of the design and guest experience? Because that's also not always going to be the same. It's, it isn't going to be the same, and we do an enormous amount of research. Um, so, you know, we, we work very closely with our marketing department um, to know what is going on in the world, what is the market looking for, what are they responding to. Um, and, and, and we look at our guest experience, we sort of audit it all the time. It's ongoing. It's, is it working? Is it right? Do we need to edit it slightly? You know, if we look at, at COVID, for example, when COVID came, we had to sort of, our lodges came to a grinding halt, and we had to think to ourselves, you know, what? what is the, the post-COVID traveler going to be looking for? It was an enormous change. And I'm going to use that as an example, but that it happens every day. You know, what's the next generation going to look for or what's, you know, family travel going to look for? Um, but with COVID, we, we had a, a huge project and that was really to, to try and research, speak about, antagonize. Um, what is the, the post-COVID guest going to look for in a guest experience? What are they going to want? What are they going to need? Um, we had an amazing workshops. Um, where it was all on Zoom. It was a new way of working where you had, you know, these teams talking about, for example, um, wellness. What is, what is the post-COVID guest going to look for with regards to wellness? And you'd have a multidisciplinary team from the different countries really just brainstorming that Um with the research that's been done. So so it is something that we as continually look to, continually look to evolve. Um, I don't think it's ever going to settle because the needs and wants of people across the globe change. Um, change all the time but we also guests do also come to us to come on on safari and um and to, you know to make sure that that guest experience is authentic and true to the location that we're in all the time and then to edit sort of slight things on top of that to anticipate the the differing needs and the changing needs of guests coming into the lodges could you touch practically on one or two of those different needs that you've managed to identify kind of most recently that you've introduced into the lodges uh, guests coming to the lodges feeling safe and secure you know beforehand um you know when when people traveled you traveled wherever you went and you if you had a bit of a snivel so be it um and you know you carried on going but you know with guests coming crossing the gauntlet of getting onto an airport getting onto an airplane getting to another country you know the, the myriad of tests that you've got to go through 
now in order to get there and hopefully that's dissipating somewhat but you know to 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 create an environment where guests felt safe and secure um, from a, a COVID point of view was an enormous learning in that we never had sanitizer before we didn't have you know when guests arrived we'd give them a hug because we were so glad to see them we couldn't do that and um, body language was one of our working groups is how do you amend your body language to make guests feel welcome and and to create this authentic feeling of of coming home but at the same time you can't shake their hand and you can't hug them because they may not you know that may not be appropriate so that was was something that tangibly is it sticks with me because i think it was um the most unusual the, the thing I, I least anticipated about working on the guest experience at Sangeeta another one I can give you quickly is is you know we looked at the, the, the day when you're at one of these game reserves you go on your morning game drive or you go for a beautiful walk you come back you have typically you have breakfast then you'd have lunch to your point about your grandmother always feeding you friend's grandmother you'd have lunch you'd then have afternoon snacks you'd have dinner guests felt like they were eating throughout the whole day um, and we really wanted to create more time in a guest's day to relax um to to connect with their partner or their family and so we removed lunch and we created brunch um and i mean it sounds like a, it's, not, it's not a new idea but it, it was something that we we had lunch and i mean breakfast and lunch when we created brunch, we'd seen enormous feedback from guests on how much t- more time they felt they had in their day, how many more wellness treatments were being experienced. Um, and it created this kind of gap of two hours in your day, which guests didn't have before. And um, and just that slight little tweak, what the, the results that it's had have been pretty amazing to to watch and to monitor. So that's another small example. I could go on for a very long time, but um, I don't think I should. But yet, you know, you still also have the opposite, which is wonderful as well. I mean, you introduce that absolutely, and, and that makes it um, obviously a whole lot easier with time. But you still have the option of if I am feeling a little bit hungry, I've always got... The, uh, the the ability to go and call the kitchen or something and get a little bit of a meal too. Absolutely. So it's our recommendation. Our recommendation is, yeah. you know, brunch. But if you would like to have an early breakfast, you know, absolutely yeah. you're welcome. If you'd like to have a lunch, absolutely you're welcome. But our recommendation is is brunch to create more time in your day. That's a lot throughout our guest experience. Absolutely love that flexibility. There is flexibility. It's our recommendation to create your the, the sort of your experience, but it's totally flexible. Whatever you would like to do whenever is is up to you. I think with the guest experience, um, even around eating and spending time in your suites, around eating, you know, the flexibility has been introduced by us designing these wonderful big um, bar deli spaces that are normally in the public areas um, where you can, you can go and help yourself to these absolutely delicious, um, you know, but, uh, snacks. You can load up your tray and you can get it delivered to your room. In the in the past, people used to complain about not spending enough time and enjoying their rooms because the rooms aren't just rooms. Their rooms are entire little worlds, you know, where you've got outdoor areas, you've got spa areas, you've got sleeping areas, you've got writing areas, you've got um, dining areas. That's just one within one suite. People, you know, didn't get enough time in there because they were maybe doing a meal or a game drive or, you know, in public areas. So I know the experience that Georgie and her team have always worked on and, and what's affected our design has been these bar deli, bar delis that we've introduced in all, into all the main lodges, um, that we've opened up all the spaces in the main lodges. So there's a lot of crossover, um, you know, that you can see the staff, the staff aren't all hidden behind closed doors. Um, it's very staff centric, should I say. Um, all these 
design um, ideas and 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 developments that have that have happened over the years to really improve and to just you know to improve the guest experience and just to create the magic that is created at Singita is huge. I'm so glad. Uh, unfortunately, our, our listeners can't can't see but i'm so glad that you can see the expression on my face right now and i've got this big smile on my face because that is so true and if i remember from my experience being at uh Swinney, for example i had the opportunity of staying in the uh in the, in, the, in the pool room so to speak and it's a beautiful deluxe room and i was only going to be there for two days and i was really stressing about how I would have enough time to make use of the entire space. There was a writing area. There's a beautiful reading nook. There's a wonderful uh, pool deck on the outside with a great pool. There's uh, about three different spaces you can eat. And there's a great space to eat by the pool where I had most of my meals. And then there's a little library as you go out into the passage. There's a beautiful little library. And I'm like, all these books, all these spaces to use, all these places to walk through. I, I still want to be able to shower in the indoor shower and the outdoor shower. I've only got two days. How am I going to get to use everything? And you almost want to be there in a week in your room to make sure you make great use of it. And it's so beautiful to be in a place where you feel like you're spoiled for choice and you're not begging to, you know, find a little bit of space. And I definitely um, have to commend the both of you on that and the entire team on, on how you've managed to, I guess, create that feeling because it wouldn't be as exciting if the spaces also weren't so beautifully put together, if they weren't as enticing and as beautifully practical and functional and really urging the guests to want to use as well. As I said earlier, it's all about balance. So as much as you want to you know, offer so many options and so much flexibility, you've also you've also got to, there's got to be a simplicity to the experience as well. And we try, we actually try and sometimes draw back and, and, and um, pair back the experiences, all the design, because we obviously very, very interested in that subtle sense of balance that you, that is, you know, that you can achieve by not actually putting too much out there and then not having too little. So it's that yeah fine line that you're walking with the design all the time. Absolutely. I mean, the irony, however, was me bringing so much uh, gym gear, thinking I'd keep exercising, but I didn't even see the gym uh, because I wanted to be in my room the whole time. You spoke about, uh, Georgie, earlier a little bit about the difficulties or the challenges that you then used into opportunities for uh, modifying for your guests in the guest process when it came to the pandemic, yet you still managed to open two lodges during that pandemic with the travel lockdowns as well, the Sabora Tented Camp and Sasakwa Lodge in Tanzania. Tell us about like that brave move and how you managed to still make that happen. Well, it's, um, you know, the, the timelines for the projects were all set, but obviously before the pandemic hit and, um, and then it did. And, and we sort of just felt the, the urgent need to keep going, you know, to keep the normal as normal as we co- could possibly. I think, you know, everything, the world was changing, everything was happening uh, all around all of us, um, you know, as individuals and um, within our personal lives, within our work lives. And there was really a need to, to, to forge on, to keep going, which we did, um, opening Sasakwa and Sabora. And, you know, if you think back, uh, Tanzania actually opened ahead of us in terms of international travel. And so we really sort of fortunate that we did that because those lodges were open, they were ready f- um, to receive guests uh, during that time. It was, um, it was really, I think, you know, the teams on the ground are sort of 
gotten going with the projects. And, and to a degree, it was quite a relief, this pandemic. We had sort of time all of a sudden, which to Geordie's point earlier, sometimes time is really limited. So we all of a sudden had time on our side, um, which is, you know, bittersweet. But um, but I think I think it, it, it sort of that to keep that momentum going was really important. And hence we did. And then there's also the challenges of working in the environment that you're working in, where it isn't always completely in your control or completely predictable in every kind of way. Because when it comes to working with wild animals, crazy things happen all the time. And I'm sure you have some incredible stories to share, Geordie, over the last uh, few years. I won't say the number. I'll say the last few years. And Georgie, I'm sure in in your time as well, you've seen a number of things. And um, you, you've spoken in the past, I've been lucky to chat to you in the past about the books that you feel that you're able to possibly um, write on some of the things that have happened when working with animals and, you know, the truck deliveries in the dark and the missing ladders and, 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 and. Please tell us some of your stories and, uh, and give us a bit of a look into the world of working with wild animals while, crying, while trying to, I uh, don't know why crying slipped in there. Hopefully that didn't happen much. Um, <laughs> while, while trying to create all the beauty that you create through the lodges. Yeah, there are many stories, Maps. I mean, I just remember back to the beginning days, we were quite ignorant and we would walk along outside, at, you know, very late at night without guards or without torches. And and we've had some very, many funny experiences myself. I mean, f- from being chased by vervet monkeys. I mean, there are hundreds of stories like that and I don't want to um, frighten anyone off because um, some of them are hair-raising but hilarious as well. And and has, you know, being in these situations has really added to the adventures that we've had. I mean, we've had the most incredible adventures on site putting these lodges together. And yeah, for that, I'm forever grateful because I think my best wildlife experiences have, have been at Singita during installations and site visits. There's one particular that I love where you were behind a wheel of a certain vehicle and you were followed by a kind of herd of trumpets behind you. Yes, many years ago, I I had to get into a Land Rover on my own and trek from one lodge over to the other and um, came into this sort of uh, riverbed to face this herd of elephants and I was absolutely terrified. I didn't know what to do. Needless to say, I froze. Um, But yeah, just hilarious experiences and um, (laughs) memory-making experiences for sure. And how about yourself, Georgie? I have I have um, many stories. Um, I, I, there are a couple that stick out, but but you know there was one incident where we were at up at Sasakwa and we were we really needed to get down to Cottage Ten at Sasakwa and it's sort of quite a distance down the hill. Um, and we were on our little golf carts and we were told, no no, you cannot go down to Cottage Ten. There's a pride of lion lying across the pathway, and we kind of thought, well, mm, that's cool, but their guests coming tomorrow and we really need to get going. How can we get into Cottage Ten? We simply had to wait. I think it was about two or three hours um, until the lions decided it was time to to move on. Um, and then we were able to get into the cottage. We were able to continue the installation. So so that's one. I mean, nature's got its own rhythm. It's got its own time frame. You know, it's not going to move for you. Um, but there, there are many that I could recount. I think, um, I, you know, many, many. There's been lion kills outside a room. We were staying in a room one night and the 
the walls hadn't been finished yet because we were running a little bit behind schedule. So half the room was kind of open to the elements. And right down in front of us in the river, lions killed a water buck. It was an enormous noise. Um, you know, it's noisy when you've got walls around you. When you've wow. got no walls around you, it's it's that much worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could go on forever. It's, it's but it's, it's, it's as as Geordie said, it's incredibly it's incredible to have these experiences. It's incredible to to be in in the bush to have these raw experiences. You know, it's um, when you're not on a Land Rover, and the game are going to continue because it's where they it's their it's, you know it's their land. You mentioned how it's their land, and sometimes or. Well- I guess a lot of the time on their land, they don't come across many telephone poles and electricity lines. Those are some of the things that have made things a little bit tricky for you guys to try and get going again once those have been trampled. Interestingly, we had the other day at Labamba, actually, where you stayed, we had an elephant decided that that tree over there was where he wanted to go and eat. And there was a walkway in, in, in the way. So he decided that walkway is sort of just simple pieces of wood why not walked straight over the walkway completely crashed it down and um and got to his tree and had a delicious meal and then you know moved on later that day <laughs> what he didn't know was that there were guests staying there in that room and um and their items are still in the room but they were at the main lodge and they kind of got down to the walkway and there was no walkway left so it's those little challenges you know it keeps us on our toes um but yeah it's it's we're lucky in that we've got teams that react very well living in these environments um we try and anticipate as many of these issues as we possibly can. Some of them you can't possibly anticipate. Um, but, you know, the team sprung to action very quickly in order to try and, and sort it out for the next guests coming in. And you speak about how some of them you can't really kind of anticipate. How do you even start to find lessons and then learn to do things differently in, you know, the next time you have to do installations or anything else around the lodge? What are some of those lessons that you are actually able to implement? Well, walkways is one of them. Um, we know where we've got walkways now. We have where there are fruiting trees or in and around the lodge, and we know there are fruiting trees. We lower the walkways so that if animals are going to pass through, they don't sort of walk over a walkway. Um, and, I, yeah, I think there's sort of lessons learned that you, you, you can anticipate nature to degree, but not always. Um, so I think particularly with elephants and buffalo, uh, it's what you sort of need to guard against. Monkeys and baboons, you know, you never know what they're going to get up to. We learned many years ago that hyenas love to chew leather, cushions, <laughs> accessories that are outdoors. Georgie got fed up with us using any leather outside. Yeah, and um, just talking about the leather, the whole leather um, idea as well is interestingly, um, you know, it has been brought up by guests as a non-sustainable material. So it's interesting how everything changes all the time. But ladies, the the sustainability in design and that with luxury is always a difficult balance to try and strike while being able to execute what you envision and trying to maintain that you have a balance of both sustainability and luxury. So what are the main things that you look at when it comes to that? And I know, um, Georgie, you've got that uh, 22 point checklist that you and your team look at. Um, but it's not, it's not always so, so obvious as well when it comes to that sustainability and design, especially from the sustainability side, when, you know, in some instances in your lodges, it's not as easy as just putting, uh, making everything solar powered because in some areas it's not viable to, to do so. So talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and how you manage to make that all work in, in harmony. 
sustainability within the design world and in, in the sort of the game reserves is an interesting one maps it's uh there is a balance that we need to strike and it's obviously something that we are you know we are striving for more and more with everything that we do um there's a responsibility to to build as sustainably as we possibly can and everything that we do from the architecture you know where we get our electricity from to the materials we use and and also to the experience that we deliver so you know i think it's a responsibility that we go through we are lucky that i think you know Sangeeta has um is aligned with bioregional um, and one planet and we've got various principles within which we we abide to um, in order to achieve sustainability throughout our entire experience from a, a guest experience point of view a staff experience point of view um, all the way through to to our lodges and and every year we sort of set goals um, along those lines and, and we try and achieve those goals um, so I think because it is such a such an important aspect of our goals as a company the direction and the leadership sort of placed a lot of emphasis on it and as a result we are able to to achieve quite a lot of sustainability when it comes to design and um, you know a lot of our lodges are are fully solar powered uh, which is incredible a lot of our suppliers rather uh, we have a suppliers uh, sort of database and every supplier that supplies Sangeeta goes through a questionnaire or it fills out a form um, which speaks to to their sustainability practices as a, as a company who would be supplying Sangeeta and if you know those companies don't really tick those sustainability boxes or or we don't feel after having looked at these forms that their sustainability practices are up to scratch then we'll try and look for another supplier so it's really sort of um, very strong and true to who we are as a business um, and because of that and because of, of the supplies we surround ourselves with who do tick these sustainability boxes um, you know we really feel that what we do deliver is sustainable as, as much as it possibly can be as, as Geordie mentioned earlier that is sometimes that balance that needs to be struck but wherever possible we do as much as we possibly can. I think with design um, as I mentioned earlier this new awareness that has come through the whole sustainability question creeps into absolutely everything, every aspect of the design. So, you know, right from the longevity of a product that you, you're designing, you know, how long can it last for without having to replace it, um, to upcycling of, of items um, in lodges that you don't want to throw away, to the one planet objective that we had with with some of the Sangeeta lodges and having to interview all all our suppliers and 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 scrutinize you know where where the raw materials were coming from um, and and to using sort of as much local as possible um, to how many times a container is you know shipped over the ocean to get the goods you know do we send them directly to from Europe to Tanzania or do they come via South Africa but that's you know more of a of a footprint um, so, so, so on every single level, it's a, it's a consideration, and I think really, it's not about ifs, but we have to do this now, and we have all these um, criteria that we have to live up to, and um, I think you know when you when you are working with such an inc- a pristine product of wilderness like Sangeeta is, obviously that's what it is. That's the main idea is to be sustainable. Absolutely. And from a macro point of view, it's uh, wonderful that the work that you're all doing, especially with the ability to also keep up with the excellence in design for greater efficiencies, the criteria that they try and keep. I know that in the Volcano National Parks, uh, your building there is 
something like 43.5% more energy efficient than the standard building in the area. And the water is 81.8% more efficient. And that's a great base to be upholding, I beg your pardon, to ensure that you actually also set the example for the spaces that you enter and show that there is consciousness in each and every part of the design and sustainability aspect of what you do. Yeah, there's definitely been a learning curve um, across the years. I mean, we we there were lots of areas in lodges which were designed, um, for example, like La Bamba has the glass boxes, which w- was designed way back then. And then obviously, you know, issues like heating and cooling became, you know, reared their heads. And, and you know, so around these great ideas and great designs has to be, the sustainability and it influences your design a lot and you know i think that's where we are right now and you you you're never going to know everything you're always going to improve along the way and you're always going to have other other people or other companies leading by example or, or other you know designers so it's inspiring it's very inspiring and it's very challenging for us to be led down the future path Jordi, on that point it's it's actually just so clear how that is thought of because it feels what felt when being at a place such as Luomo that the space that you are in is also a living space. And you speak of the heating and cooling, it makes it not necessary to have to worry about something like an air conditioner when that isn't necessary at all. And the space is naturally heating and cooling and breathing with you. So it's almost like a living thing um, within itself. And I'm sure that's a great deal of of, of consideration too. And no doubt from a micro um, perspective, Georgie, with a lot of the details in obviously the packaging, and I'm seeing a much greater use of glass as well. And obviously with the food, everything that's not eaten is being used as compost or in any other kind of sustainable way. And, and I'm sure that it goes down probably right to the serviettes or whatever it might be that every single guest interacts with. Absolutely. Perhaps I think, you know, every decision that is made is is totally, there's a lot of consciousness that goes into all of the decisions and consideration that goes into all of the, the decisions and what to use. Um, you know, how will it be washed? How frequently will it be washed? You know, what is the fabric? How much water does it take to wash? Um, so I think, you know, there's every every item that that we use and that we we put into the lodges and to the guest experience. There's a lot of consideration around it. And and to your point on food, um, you know, that's been a huge area for us um, to reduce waste and also to look at the supply chain of our suppliers with regards to food, to look at their sustainability practices. It's been enormous um, and it's been really interesting. It's a fascinating journey. It's a fascinating area to, to research and to explore because, you know, in researching what we may want to for, for our lodges, you find along the way fascinating stories and fascinating suppliers that are and other companies that are doing things that are we could learn from or um, are trying to pioneer something new it's really really interesting and i think it's a it's a very active environment um the sort of whole sustainability sustainability environment obviously because of of you know what's going on in the globe but um i think the interest in it and the 
sort of thought process that goes into the whole sustainability aspect of it is very, very considered, deeply considered. I remember there was a story um, at Singita that they banned cling wrap from all their kitchens. And I think it was something like kilometers and kilometers of cling wrap that was saved. Um, Georgie, do you, you know that story? That was just one little... It was 17 kilometers of cling wrap a month was being used in one, of the, in one of the kitchens. Yeah. In one of the kitchens. Yes. Wow, that's unbelievable. So, you know, to try and design around that now, you know, if you've got, if you've got the kitchen are, are used to using the cling wrap now, we need to get rid of this. And the date is in the sand. Say 1st of January, whatever the date was, 2021, no more cling wrap. And then you've, you know, you've got to think, how do we do this? What do we do? It's still got to, you know, the food's still got to look good or it's got to, um, you know, meet the needs of the chefs, meet the needs of the kitchen, but meet the needs of the guests and, and trying to sort of work in that area. Um, it's really interesting. It's, it gives us a run for our money, but it's, it's a really interesting space to be in. I know also um, from being at the back of house um, of all the, of all the kitchens that you're, the recycling um, endeavors are huge and the staff all get involved and um, there's point systems and uh, it's it's incredible and I mean it's, you, you cannot believe how detailed and how immaculate it is I was impressed with that when I saw that very detailed and immaculate Geordie and we also measure everything you know we measure the amount of waste that's going to plastic how much water is being used you know how much is wet waste everything is measured so that we can you know constantly try and improve and constantly trying to sort of re-innovate around it and um, if there's a, a better way to go about things um, and so that we can yeah, improve on our, our previous years our previous months going forward so it's um, also it's quite interesting you know when you are measuring your water or you are measuring your electricity and sometimes there's a, a random spike you then know that there's a pool leaking or there's something happening within the plumbing that where water may be leaking from. Um, and I think that's, that's also, again, a consciousness of doing the measuring, then realizing when problems arise, as they arise, not, you know, years down the track when we've lost, you know, a whole lot of water from the system, as an example. Georgie, would you say zero waste down the line is possible? I certainly think it is something to aim towards. Um I, cer I certainly think it's something to aim towards. You know, we, we're looking at reusing coffee grounds, you know, coffee from your coffee machine, um, uh, making sort of, or what's the word I'm looking for, um, condensing that, and then you use that, uh, you burn that, and it's insects really don't like the scent of burning old coffee grounds. I mean, who knew? But we're trying to look at sort of those innovative ways of using waste that we may not normally use and experimenting with it wherever possible. So I think, MAPS, it's certainly a goal that is... I'm not sure it's entirely achievable, um, but I certainly think it's a goal that we can look to achieve, put it that way. I think with in the environment and sustainability as a whole, working towards as low as you can get for everyone is the most positive stance that you can always take. So I think that that's beautiful. If we're always working to look to, towards as low as we can all get, even as individuals, then that's when you really start to make the change. And you've really consciously thought of all the ways that you're able to do so, which is... The head and shoulders above, honestly, any other lodge I've been able to go to recently, especially with the kind of fast changing ways and pressure of ensuring that you are as good, well, that most places are as green as possible and are conscious of what's happening in the climate and what's happening to our planet. And, and I do definitely think that that is um, something that should be um, highlighted by um, for and by your team because the, the whole team is doing a great job at, at, at ensuring that that is a priority. Towards zero is, is always fantastic and it's a great stance to take. Uh, Jordi, after 
what has um, been once again just a, just a few years, a number of years. Um, you've essentially got fourteen children that you have a really close bond with, and it's really difficult to say because I I'm not sure that it's a, that's easy that it's going to be easy for you to answer, especially when you've had such an integral part in every single aspect of every single room that has come through all those years and done so about thirty times. What would you say are your favorite uh, spaces at any of the lodges around? I must tell you that every time one of us, myself or my partners, visit a, lo- visit a lodge, our breaths are taken away. No matter what lodge we go to, it, it really, and um, without sounding um, you know, arrogant, um, it's not just about the design, as I said earlier. It's 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 the whole package that you're getting, and and then you go for a game drive, and you just see Mother Nature on steroids, you know. Um, but I think if I had to choose my favorite spaces in all the lodges, I think I adore the suites in all the lodges because they're mini, they're like little micro versions of the the, the bigger lodges. Um, but my favorite lodges per se, which is so hard to <laughs> nail down, um, I think La Bombo is a firm favorite of mine because it's very contemporary and I love, love contemporary design. Um, and the latest lodge um, that we did um, up in Tanzania, Sabora, is just uh, – have to say it is swoon worthy. I absolutely love it. I was looking at it online again this morning and I haven't had the pleasure of staying there yet because we didn't install it due to COVID, but um, I'm just so blown away by it and I can't wait to visit. I was going to say that you were oddly very quick in answering all of that. And then when you said the latest, I just thought, Typical mother choosing the last born all the time. <laughs> I must say, I've, I've, we've had to have emptiness syndrome because you know once we hand over a lodge, it's not ours anymore. We we give it back, and um, and then Georgie's team looks after it, and they do a fantastic job. Uh, Georgie, you've been pretty much the visual gatekeeper of Singita is what you've been regarded as over the last twelve years, and you. You pretty much have permanent custody over all these kids. You are constantly with them. And Geordie gives them back to you. Is it easy for you to be able to pick your favorite spaces in, in the different lodges, at any of the lodges? And if it's a few, go for it. Maps, I was, you know, I thought you might ask this question. I was wondering if you were going to. I was hoping you wouldn't, but now you have. <laughs> it's a question I'm asked frequently, and I find it incredibly difficult to answer. I'm going to do my best. There's something about um, Sagita Ebony that is, it's where I cut my teeth. It's where I first started. Um, it was, that's now sort of, you know, very long ago. And the staff there, when I first started, I was young. I was sort of 21 years old. Um, and the staff there really embraced me and they helped me and they taught me Shangan and they they sort of just helped the sort of young Cape Tonian girl, I was living in Cape Town at the time, along her journey. And that for me, I will never forget. Um, they are... A lot of the staff are very good friends of mine to this day. And still, when I go back, the embrace and the feeling of home is just, I'll never forget that. So I think that means a lot. Ebony means a lot to me from that point of view. Um, And then 
They're very difficult, but Singita to Explore, I think, is incredibly special. Um, it's a, a private-use uh, tented villa um, in Tanzania, and it's really tense on the ground. Um, you know, you feel the, the crunch of the, the soil under your feet as you walk into your room. The, the your day starts to ebb and flow with the sunlight. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no electricity. Um, and for me, that's really authentic. You know, you're deep in the bush. And, 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 you know, having grown up in South Africa and gone to the bush many times, for me, that's really as close as you can get to it. From a design point of view, now I'll attack it from that angle. I think what really resonates with me is, um, is Faru Faru in, in Tanzania. With the blend of, of Singita boulders in South Africa, um, I think that for, for me aesthetically is where I I fit in. If I could build a sort of perfect house, um, it would be a blend of those two design aesthetics within that house. And I, I think, but I love all of them. These these children of mine, I um, they many different reasons, um, their quirks, their um, their little nuances. Um, we're passionate about all of them, and. Um, so, you know, anybody at Singita hears me say this, I'm sorry, Lodges, the ones I picked, but you're all special. I do have to remark for everyone, of course, that's listening that can't see the expressions like I can. As soon as you said from a design point of view, there's a bit of an extra lean forward um, from Jordi just to hear what you're going to say about that. So um, I, I, I love that there's a constant appreciation and, and uh, thought of wanting to be better and which one are you going to choose? And and it's great to be able to, I'm sure, get any kind of praise on anything um, that either of you have, have been a part of. And with that in mind, and I know we could gone forever but this is something i'd really like you to take some time on as well because i think it would be interesting for listeners at home or wherever they're listening to this from to really know what the vision looks like because in 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 my mind i'd love to know with the amount that you've put in to this point it's firstly remarkable that you're able to continue to evolve over all this time with all the things that you've managed to achieve but really with sustainability and design and the vision that you've managed to create with all of that being as good as it is right now, what does the future hold? Um, so from our side maps, um, I think what we've all come to realize is that each property has such a classic and timeless identity. And I think that we are really wanting just to retain that, simplicity of design in a way authenticity and not make the design become a monument to itself but actually the places and mother nature being the focal point and so I think in a way there's a little bit of a pullback even in a way from our side and I don't want to say towards non-design but towards um, less is more and simplicity and scaling down a little bit. Um, um, that may sound a bit unusual when I'm, you know, talking about sort of a luxury product, luxury holidays. But I think in within that scale down, within that simplicity is so much calm and serenity and beauty. And, and I think that's where we are sort of quite all inspired by the idea of sanctuary now. And I think so going forward even with design and wanting to impress and wanting to wow and wanting to please and wanting to tick all the boxes, I really feel that a slightly understated um, approach, a less is more approach is really the way forward. Mm. And Dieter Rams also speaks about how he would always try and 
scale things down a little bit too to ensure that while he's making it better, he wants it to still be good enough that it has its presence. So you don't walk into a room and shout your name and introduce yourself if you are trying to develop some sort of a presence. If you have done things really well, it should always speak for itself because it's been done very well. And you don't kind of do it loudly with an overindulgence and branding and all of that everywhere. And I think that's a balance that you've always managed to find. And to see how that starts to get better will be quite interesting um, because it, I, I feel like it, uh, it's very difficult to get something better when it's just so brilliantly done. And Georgie, what do you feel the future holds? Well, I think, you know, much to Geordie's point, I do think that there is there is beauty in simplicity, in pairing back, in in not layering as much as we have possibly in the past. And I don't mean that only with regards to design. I mean that with regards to the entire experience. I think that people are looking for authentic experiences and they needn't be sort of too layered, too fluffy, too too frilly. You know, I think that you can sort of pair back to the core, to the authenticity and really sort of antagonize what that is and work with that in order to move forward. You know, you could you could go on and sort of redesign and redesign and redesign but I think to Geordie's point it's to look at it, what you have and and how can you simplify it um, and, and also still strike that balance that balance between the sort of beautiful luxe experience where you've got everything that you that you need and um, where you need it when you need it but not more than that not too much not over the top I think we're going and it's funny you know Geordie and I obviously haven't spoken before this this podcast but you know in my sort of Sangeeta world where I've been speaking to our design team and various people in, within the guest experience and our, our ops directors we are also leaning towards that towards the simplicity towards peering back and um, towards sort of exfoliating the layers um to sort of have what's polished beneath it um that's really where, where we are instinctively moving towards Georgie, Georgie, wonderful answers and really exciting to see how you managed to achieve that vision. Georgie, I'm sure now more than ever, guests are really, really excited about planning their next trip to Sangeeta or just simply want to find out a little bit more about everything that we've been discussing around the philosophies around style and design and what's been implemented throughout the lodges and what makes it just so beautiful. Could you possibly give our audience some guidance as to where they can find out more? I would direct guests to singita.com, www.singita.com, whereby they'll be able to find out any information that they need. For Cecile and Boyd and all the incredible work that the design team, uh, yourself and your design team does there, uh, where can we find out more about you? You can go onto our website, www.ceceleandboyd.com. We're also on Instagram um, and you'll get all our contact details there. Georgie Pennington and Jody D'Souza Costa, thank you so much for your time. Really looking forward to my next visit, as I'm sure everyone that is listening to this is. I had a really, really great time speaking about style and design with the both of you. And it's wonderful what you've managed to create. And I look forward to what continues to come in the future for Singita. Thank you, Maps. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks very much. It was wonderful chatting to you both. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow other episodes of our podcast series, Safari Conversations, please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from or on our website at singida.com.